Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see everybody here today. It's I'm glad to uh, be with you in the house of the Lord to share this time of uh, of love and fellowship and worship together. And we welcome everyone. We welcome our guests, especially this morning, and hope that God will bless you in a very special way. Uh, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to. Take those and fill them out so we could have a record of, of your attendance with us this morning. If you do that, we would certainly appreciate that. Also, um, a few announcements I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, this evening, our deacons will be hosting a dinner for new friends of Community Baptist Church, uh, uh, people who have come and been, been a part of our fellowship recently, well, fairly recently, within the past year or so, you know. And uh, we want to, uh, to recognize you and, and, uh, and honor you and thank you for being a part of our fellowship here. And so that will be this evening at 5 o'clock. And so if you are a fairly new uh, uh, person to our congregation, then we welcome you and, and hope you'll come and be a part of that. Also, on March the 1st, um, that's Ash Wednesday. That's coming up in just a couple of weeks. I can hardly believe that. But March the 1st is Ash Wednesday. And we will be hosting a joint Ash Wednesday service with uh, First Christian Church and Zion uh, United Church of Christ. We will be hosting the service here at Community Baptist Church at 6 o'clock that evening. 
Uh, that's on Wednesday, March the 1st. We will not be having dinner that, that evening. We normally do on Wednesday nights, but on that evening, we will not be having dinner on March the 1st. And, of course, that being uh, March, that being Ash Wednesday, that begins the season of Lent. And you have the, uh, the schedule of our Lenten services, our Lenten lunch services in your bulletin there. And I think Sybil wants to make an announcement about our responsibilities there. We will be hosting the Lenten lunch on March the 15th, and Lana has asked me to um, ask you. She needs about three greeters and ushers. She needs people for prep on Tuesday, March the 14th, about nine people. She's needing people to bring drinks, needing servers, about eight servers, kitchen cleanup about 1.15 on the 15th, plate food, and monetary donations, if you can't physically come and help in one of the other capacities, she will take monetary donations as well. So if you can help in any one of these areas, please see Ms. Lana Hopgood. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one other thing, uh, we will be having a called business meeting on Wednesday. Uh, the purpose of this meeting is to call uh, Kim Hall and Teresa Steele as our co-children's directors, and also uh, to pass our nominating team report. So uh, that'll be this Wednesday after, after our supper time. Uh, we are Christ's children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we are the temple of God. And so let us share the love of Christ with one another as we stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord.
you who are music readers and you use your hymnal, our first song is on page 581. I put the wrong page number in your hymnal. So it's 581. We've heard the joyful sound. Let us stand together as we sing. God, we come to another Sunday to worship you. And as we do, we recognize that the many obligations of the week can be draining for us. They can disorient us. They can point us toward other things that are not as worthy of attention as you We lose sight of who we are in light of all the pressures and responsibilities and concerns and other temporary anxieties that cloud our vision. And so, God, we pray that you would use our time here today to reorient us. Help our vision to be focused on those things that truly keep us healthy. Things like service and family and worship and word and in deed. Take those things away from us that draw us into worry and dread and disorientation And take us all up into your arms, O God, like a loving parent, a caring friend, our ever-present teacher and companion. We seek to be builders, O God. We seek to build each other in matters of faith. And sometimes our work of building is hard. It takes a lifetime of effort. But we want to do it well. So help us, help us to never count the costs of building ourselves in the ways of righteousness. Help us to never cut corners when we can dig deeper and further for a lifetime of building ourselves to be better and stronger. 
And we do this not because you command us to be holy, but because you are holy. And for us to follow you means that we want to be like you. So take our worship today, O God. Allow it to wash away those things that would get in our way of truly knowing and following you. Teach us to be one in your spirit of love. Prod us to put aside our own agendas and pettiness so that we may truly build upon the one who is the foundation of all that we believe and do, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Master Builder who teaches us faithfulness time and time again. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness.
I'm Pam, and I'm really, really glad to see every one of you here today. Pastor Tim today is going to be speaking about we are God's temple. Hmm. I don't know what that is. Gee. Well, let's just look at that word for a minute, temple. Actually, it's just another place of worship. We come to church. Some people go to a temple and other types of worship places. So I thought, temple, Jesus worshiped in a temple. So that's how far back we come. But some of the pictures of them are, look at this. Look how fancy, look how gold and pretty they are. And right up, look. Our churches would ever look like that? I don't <laughs> think so. Look how, look inside. Look how, look how pretty it is. It's beautiful. Well, okay. So, we worship in a church. All right, take your hand. Put your fingers down. Down like that. Okay? Put these front ones up like this. Okay? So, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Now, that'll be the tall thing on top of the church, but watch this. Open the door. Open it up. Turn it over. What we got? People. Now, you can do that in a temple. You do that in a church. You do that in a synagogue. You do that anywhere you go to worship. We're in, we're in there, aren't we? Okay. So that's the temple. Now, think about God's temple. If it's our body. Our body? How can our body be God's temple? Well, he's in there. He's in our bodies. And that would be in our hearts. Our hearts. Now, just like in a temple or any church, you want to keep it keep it pretty and nice and clean. How do we do that? We try not. We show love. We respect other people, others, other viewpoints, our friends. We cherish our families. We keep our hearts as clean as we can. And because he's in there, we can talk to him every day. We can worship him right there. He is that close to us, always. And in so doing, we listen to him. We listen to him, too. He is, it's a two-way thing. So he's speaking to us. But you know what? He's not concerned at all whether you, it's a boy or a girl or whether you got cute hair or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it just really doesn't matter. Because you know what? Only humans, man, looks at how you look. Where does God look? In your heart. And for that reason, we want to keep it pure and wholesome for him. Okay? All right. Let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, help us to never forget that we are your temple, your holy dwelling place. Help us to honor you in all that we do. Amen.
pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you in thankfulness, for this is a beautiful day. Thank you for the, each moment that we breathe, and remind us how to live, live life to its fullest mm -hmm. in your presence. We thank you for your immeasurable love. Love and understand, understanding in our most darkest moments, we are assured that your spirit is always with us. Allow us to see your light. Allow us to allow us to see others in your light through us. Accept these tithes and offerings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 and 16 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should, be, 
you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. This is the word of the Lord.
nice. That's kind of been our musical theme for this month. God loves people more than anything. And you know, that's true. And that's something that we celebrate here at Community Baptist Church, that God loves people. God doesn't love necessarily what we believe or what we do or what... God loves us. And, uh, and that's such a wonderful truth to, to grab a hold to. And I hope you have grabbed a hold of that truth. Peter Hansen once gave a speech in which he told about what a moving experience it was for him to visit the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. Hansen described his experience there, watching the crowds of people of all ages reach up to touch the cold stone wall rising out of the ground, containing the names of every American soldier known to have, been, have died in that tragic conflict. Almost 50,000 of them. Some people who came just stood and stared, said Hansen. Others broke down and wept. Why, they all seemed to be asking. 50,000 young boys taken from lovely, uh, loving families to fight a war that many found difficult to justify. 50,000 American soldiers who would never return home. 50,000 brave young men slain in that terrible conflict, he said. But Peter Hansen was not giving this speech to debate the merits of the Vietnam War. He was making another point altogether. Hansen continued, 50,000. That is also the number of Americans who are killed by cigarettes every two months. Now that'll make you stop and think, won't it? Kind of puts things into perspective. 50,000 people every two months. Now please don't think I'm picking on cigarette smokers here. Uh, I know I mentioned it last week, I mentioned it again today, uh, but I was captured by that dramatic picture that Peter Hansen gives to us of that particular health problem. And I suppose that I was drawn to that analogy because of the words of Paul in our scripture for today when he writes, do you not know that you are God's temple? And what a sad thing it is when we human beings abuse our bodies in any way. Because we are God's temple. So let's think about what that means to us today on more, a more spiritual and practical level. And that's one way that Paul uses this imagery of the temple of God. He uses it to describe our individual bodies as followers of Christ. He is telling us to take care of our bodies because that body is where God abides, where God resides. God resides right here within, our, within us. And since that's true, then we need to consider our bodies to be holy. In 1 Corinthians 6, just a few chapters after this passage, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul is saying to us that our physical bodies are the temple of God. 
So that's one way that Paul tells us that we are the temple of God. And that's, that's, that's what, Paul, uh, that's what uh, Pam was, was emphasizing just a few moments ago. But there's another way that we are the temple of God. And that's, that way is found in our lesson for today in chapter 3 of the same letter. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And this is a church that is in conflict. And the source of this conflict seems to be that some people in the church were claiming to be followers of Paul, while others were claiming to be followers of Apollos. And so, in other words, some of them, some of the members were still linked to their former pastor and will not accept their current pastor, while others in the congregation have grown close to their new pastor and they're saying bad things about their, his predecessor. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We're human beings. We all have our different preferences. We have our different needs, and we respond to different personalities. And sometimes we respond to those different personalities in different ways at different times, depending on the different circumstances. It's human. But it can also be destructive. It can tear a church apart. And that seems to be what was taking place here in Corinth. And and so Paul tells the church in Corinth to grow up. You need to get over this, guys. Who is Paul, he asks. Who is Apollos? Paul plants Apollos' waters, but it is God who gives the growth. In this lesson, Paul compares the church to a specific kind of building. And he notes that in order to construct this building, he has laid the foundation. Paul has laid the foundation. And now someone else is building on that foundation. And the basic foundation, however, is Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. It has nothing to do with individual personalities. And it's certainly not worth tearing up a congregation over which of the builders is better than the other one. And so Paul writes... Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. In the other passage, in chapter 6, Paul uses God's temple as an analogy for our individual bodies. But in this one, in chapter 3, God's temple is the church. We, as a body of believers, are the temple of a living God. And it's a terrible thing when the body of Christ is torn apart with dissension. So let's think about what this means for us today. First of all, I think that Paul is telling us that the church is a living body. Pam did this with the children a few minutes ago, and I'm sure that you as a child probably have heard that little little nursery rhyme with the finger exercises here. You've done that? Come on, do it with me, folks. Come on, get your fingers together here. All right, got them? All right, put them, put them together. Got to interlock those fingers. Okay. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors, and there are the people. Right? You've done that before? You, you got that? It's a nice little sentiment, isn't it? And we all know what that's getting at. However, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here, Pam. Theologically speaking, it's dead wrong. <laughs> because, folks, 
The church is the people. It's not the building. The church is not the steeple. The church is not the windows or the doors. Bricks and mortar and glass will never constitute the church. A building is simply a place where the church meets. It's a building. It is not the church, no. The church is a living, breathing, growing, influencing body infused with the spirit of the living God. At least that's the way the church is supposed to be. heard about one young boy who was playing with a set of blocks. And he said to his father, I'm, I'm building a church. We have to be very quiet. Well, his father was encouraged by this. And he was eager to encourage this unexpected act of reverence. And so he, he asked, why do we need to be quiet in church? And the boy replied, because the people are sleeping. Heaven help us if that's the way we perceive the church. And heaven help us if that's the way others perceive the church of Jesus Christ. Because folks, the church must be the most alive, the most dynamic, the most awake institution on earth. There was a visitor to the Grand Canyon. You ever been to the Grand How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Man. It is awesome. And, and you know, you, 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 you see pictures of the Grand Canyon, and you'll, you'll see one here in a minute. And, and, it's, and it's beautiful. But the pictures don't, they don't hold a candle to standing there in front of it, face to face and, well, alive and, and seeing it for yourself. And there's a story about a visitor of the Grand Canyon. He stood there. On the edge of the canyon, he stood speechless before the grandeur of this marvelous sight, this beautiful sight. And finally, he recovered enough to exclaim, I wish I'd been here to see this happen. And a ranger that was standing nearby said, You are. <laughs> and what that ranger was saying was that the Grand Canyon is still happening. That mighty gorge in the earth is still changing and still growing and still expanding. And, and that's the way it is with the church as well. There is no institution on the earth that authorita authoritarian regimes around the world want to muzzle more than the church. That's true in China. It's true in, in Russia. It's true in, in many Muslim nations. And it's true wherever people are being oppressed, even here in the United States. You see, the church is not a dead museum for displaying the relics of, of uh, some bygone era. The church is alive and it's, it's well. And it's making God's voice known in human affairs. When St. Francis of Assisi knelt before the life-size crucifix at the little tumble-down chapel of St. Damien, he heard the voice of God speaking to him, restore my church. Well, Francis was not sure what that meant at first. And, it, and, and at first he took it literally. And so he went to work restoring the, the badly decaying chapel itself, begging and buying and 
borrowing stones and limbers and timbers to, to, to rebuild the, the structure. But before long, he realized that what God was asking from him was something far more costly than that. You see, it was not the church building that needed to be restored, but the life of church people. And that is our summons today. The church is is alive, but it is in constant need of being restored. The church is God's temple. It is the living body of Christ. So if that's true, then it must also mean that individual members of the church, us, we are partners with Christ in carrying on God's work. To extend Paul's analogy, we build on the foundation that others have laid. And that's an important principle. Paul plants Apollos waters. Let's use an example. James Watt was the inventor of the steam engine, right? Wrong. (laughs) A lot of people give him credit for inventing the steam engine, but actually it was Thomas Newcomen in 1712 who built the first steam engine that actually performed any useful work. It pumped water out of a coal mine. Watt's steam engine was simply more refined. It was state-of-the-art, we would say, these days. But the true inventor of of the combustion engine was neither Watt nor Newcomen. It was the great Anglo-Irish chemist, Robert Boyle. Only Boyle's engine was not very practical because Boyle used gunpowder to drive the piston. And that fouled up the cylinder so much that it had to be had to be taken apart and cleaned after every stroke of the piston. Can you imagine doing that with your car today? But Boyle's idea enabled first Dennis Papin, who was Boyle's assistant, and then Thomas Newcomen, and then finally James Watt to develop a working combustion engine. Boyle had the idea. Others built upon it. That's the nature of all knowledge. It's also the nature of the church. We are Christ's assistants in building God's temple. Jesus uses us, if we'll let him, to to build something beautiful and lasting. So here's the thing, folks. None of us are prima donnas. None of us are superstars. We are merely co-builders of God's temple. Someone once said, all the world's a stage, but nobody wants to be a stagehand. <laughs> well, guess what? We're all stagehands. Every one of us has a role to play, and none of us are superstars. Pitcher Lefty Gomez was a talented baseball player, and when he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, a reporter came to him and asked, Lefty, what's your secret of success? And Lefty smiled, and he replied, two things, clean living and a fast infield. (laughs) Do you hear what he's doing there? Lefty was acknowledging that he alone was not responsible for his success. He had teammates that were helping him out throughout his entire career. 
George MacDonald once noted that one draft horse can move two tons of weight. But if you take two draft horses and harness them together, together, working together, they can move 23 tons of weight. A little different, isn't it? And I believe McDonald has put his finger on the strength of the church. Because you see, when we work together, we can perform miracles, literally. And maybe that's why Jesus said, truly I tell you that if, 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 you, if on earth you agree, two or three of you agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them. Not one person asking, but two or three agreeing and asking and then working together to accomplish what's been asked. That's how things are done in God's kingdom. Now, one thing is clear from Paul's words, and that is that it is a serious matter when seeds of dissension are sown in a congregation. My friends, we have a kingdom to build. And we don't have time for petty bickering. We don't have time for that. Cotton Mather, the Puritan divine, once made a very astute observation about bees. He noticed that every swarm of bees has its own scent. And when different swarms meet, they, the conflicting smells trigger a fight. They battle with one another. However, Mather also noticed that when the bees are pollinating the flowers, they get covered with pollen which masks the smell of the individual groups. And, and when they, they, they all have the same smell, they all smell like pollen, guess what? There's no competition in the work that's done. They're not fighting. And that's the way it is in the church. When we are bu- busy fulfilling our purpose of connecting people to one another and connecting people to God, then we don't have time and we don't have the inclination to engage in petty bickering. We're the temple of God. Each of us is a building block in that temple. Can you imagine what would happen to a temple if the, if the blocks were in conflict with one another? Nothing would get done. And it's such a serious matter that Paul said, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. My friends, we may all be Christians in the church, but we're also humans. And as humans, we are not perfect. And wherever humans are gathered, there will be different differences of opinion. There will be differences of preference and, and desires and ways of doing things and ways we think that things should be done. But listen to this, folks. Members of Christ's body are to work out their petty grievances And then get back to the business of building Christ's kingdom. Now one last thing needs to be said. And that is that the foundation of God's temple is Christ himself. There can be no other foundation. Joyce Carey, a British writer, once asked how he put his novels together. He said that there are many ways a novel can be constructed It may be scribbled from an introductory idea with episodes added to the plot according to the uh, author's mind. 
or it can be designed by piecing together a sequence of events in a loose outline and then filled in from the writer's imagination. But according to Carey, wise writers will begin with a central episode and then work backwards to the beginning and then forwards to the end. And that's the way it is for Christians. You see, the central episode in, in human history is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We focus on the world outside, but we always view it from the foot of the cross. And so in everything that we do, we pray that we do it in the love and in the spirit of Jesus Christ. He is the founder of the church. But more than that, it is his spirit that infuses everything that we do. He's the cornerstone of it all. Bill Lear is best known as the father of the Learjet. And he made an awful lot of money from his many inventions, but Bill never rested on his laurels. He, instead, he persistently worked till the day he died to build new things and to improve the things that he had already, already built. But even when he knew he was dying from leukemia, his last words to one of his colleagues was this, finish it, finish it, finish the things that we're working on. Bill Lear did not finish all the work that he began. He left that for his colleagues. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus' last words to his disciples were, go and make disciples. In other words, finish what I have begun. And that's his command to us today. Finish what Christ has started. Finish what Paul and Apollos had added Finish what millions of saints down through the ages, including many who are near and dear to us, have added to that. Like the Grand Canyon, God's temple is still happening. It's still growing. It's still changing. And we're a part of it. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? God's temple. That's who you and I are. Let's get busy following in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's continue to build God's temple until it encompasses the entire world. Amen. We are going to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper now. So I'll invite our deacons to come forward and prepare the table as we do so. Uh, We will have the bread and the cup here in the front. Uh, And we'll invite you to come beginning in the back rows to come down the middle aisle. Uh, We'll have two sides that you can go to. Take one of the pieces of bread from one tray and then move to the side and dip it into the cup. And then eat the bread that is uh, covered with with the juice from the cup. This is communion. Communion is one of the most sacred aspects of the church, I believe, for many reasons. And the very word itself, communion, implies that we are communing together. We are joining together 
communing with God and communing with one another. It is our way of recognizing what God would do in our lives, what God has done in our lives. To recognize the, the love that Christ has, has for us. To recognize that, that there's nothing that Christ would not do for us. He loves us more than anything. And He would even give His life for us. That's the extent of His love for you. And that's why we do this. And so as we take communion today, let me challenge you that this is a place where we can recognize our place as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a place for us to recognize what Christ has done for us. We are building blocks of God's temple. And we are here to do that because Christ has put us here through God's love. Let us share in this experience of communion, communing with God and with one another.
You know, there's one thing about a foundation in any building. You can't move it. (laughs) That's what makes it so important. We need it. We need it there to keep us stable, whether you're talking about a building or a life. And so let us sing together about the foundation of our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the foundation of our lives. Because, folks, we need our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ every hour. Let's sing together.